Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It is October the 6th, lunchtime in California, in Berkeley. And as regular viewers know, I've been preoccupied recently with this strange, complicated, dark relationship in dark money terms between the Putin government and Donald Trump. We had uh, Caroline Belton, author of Putin's People on the show a couple of weeks ago. Tom Burgess has also chimed in. And um, Caroline Belton suggested very strongly that I get our guest today, uh, Tim Weiner, on the show. Tim is uh, ex-New York Times foreign correspondent and the author of a really important and interesting, very provocative new book, um, The Folly and the Glory. Uh, Tim, let me begin with your introduction, uh, which I found particularly, uh, particularly intriguing. I'm quoting you here. Uh, you say, Russian spies that had inflicted resounding blows against America in the century since Stalin first came to power. Their goals during and after the Cold War were the same, subvert the United States, undermine its power, poison its political discourse. Now, Putin had pulled off the most audacious political warfare operation since the Greeks pushed a gigantic wooden horse up the gates of Troy. Trump would prove to be a priceless asset for the Russians. War on democracy and the rule of law. And i uh, got one more little thing to read, Tim, before I bring you in. With his inauguration, that's Trump's, of course, they, the Russians, had an agent of influence in the White House, a president who supported Putin's geopolitical interests, who echoed his propaganda, and who tried to cover up the evidence of his act of war against America. Tim, wow, that is pretty radical. Um, so essentially, the Manchurian candidate is getting played out in real time since, 90, uh, since 2016. Is that what you're saying? Well, first, Andrew, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, that is not a radical assessment. That is reality. And it is also the assessment of former directors of central intelligence. Uh, I've interviewed uh, former uh, chiefs and uh, uh, operatives in CIA's Russia house. Uh, there isn't any question, Andrew, that Donald Trump has promoted Putin's propaganda that he has acted in the Kremlin's interests, that he, like the Russians, has undermined the institutions of our national security, that he attacks our alliances, that he is fulfilling the goals of Russian intelligence, goals that they have had for a hundred years. Tim, how have they done this? Uh Catherine and, 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 and Tom on the show, Tom, Bell, um, uh, Tom Burgess, have talked about the ways in which the Russians are essentially throwing money at 
political innovations. Uh, is, is that how they how they are controlling Trump through money through this dark web of of loans and and and, and guarantees that in terms of the flow of cash from from Moscow to to the Trump organization? Andrew, in intelligence, there are secrets and there are mysteries. Secrets you can often determine, you can find out. There are a few secrets that time will not reveal. Mysteries are harder. So let's look at what we know. We know that Donald Trump has acted for four years now as an agent of influence in the American government. Let me explain what I mean by that. There's a very specific definition of agent of influence in the American intelligence lexicon, a slightly different uh, definition for the Russians. For the Americans, an agent of influence is a person of power or authority who uses his position to affect public opinion or policy in the interests of the nation for whom he operates. That definition fits Donald Trump. In the American lexicon, there has to be a necessary element of control. You would pay this person. You would co-opt this person. You would control this person. From the Russian point of view, there is no need to control the agent of influence. He simply has to be influential. So let's look at, again, in the intelligence lexicon, the ways in which an agent of the foreign, uh, of the Russian Federation would operate on their behalf. It might be money that is the controlling mechanism. We now know, thanks to my, my old newspaper, the New York Times, that Trump has $421 million of debt. More than 300 million is personal debt. He owes it, not the Trump organization, him. These debts are coming due two, three, four years over the horizon. To whom does he owe this money? Is it the Russians? That is a strong possibility given the interrelationship that Donald Trump has with Deutsche Bank, his primary lender, and the amount of dirty money from Russia that Deutsche Bank has laundered over the years. If it's not the Russians to whom he owes this money, I assure you that Russian intelligence knows to whom he owns it because of their penetrations of Deutsche Bank. That knowledge would be leverage, compromat in Russian, compromising information that Vladimir Putin would hold over Donald Trump. So maybe it's the money because isn't it almost always the money with Trump? Maybe it's ego. Donald Trump is a man of towering vanity. Vladimir Putin is a career KGB officer whose expertise when he was with the Leningrad KGB was manipulating, corrupting, exploiting, and blackmailing businessmen. That's what he did for a living for many years. Donald Trump has been targeted by the Russians. There's 
little question about this. I would say none. Ever since he first came to Moscow in 1987 as a wealthy and corrupt American businessman with a Czech wife to whom he was unfaithful, announced a pronounced taste for Slavic women, who was looking to build a luxury hotel across Red Square from the Kremlin in partnership with the Soviet government. If the KGB did not target him on that trip in 1987, they would have been criminally negligent. Somewhere in Russia, there is a Russian intelligence chief who has a file and a thick one with Donald Trump's name on it. It is a matter of the highest importance for the CIA to identify and recruit that officer to find out the mystery of what control the Russians have over Trump. I, I've done a little bit of an injustice to your book, uh, Tim, because it's not just about Trump. It's about the American-Russian relationship or lack of a relationship, what you call political warfare between 1945 and and 2020 today. Let me read you something else that um, that I was particularly intrigued with. You said, uh, uh, in the 21st century, Russia has fought back against America and its allies with stealth and subversion. Its stratagems have undermined American democracy, uh, architecture that has withstood a civil war and two world wars. The outcome may determine if America will endure and whether Democrats or autocrats will rule the world. Great armies and navies and arsenals bristling with nuclear weapons have proved useless in this struggle. The battle depends on political warfare. Your book is as much about Russia as it is about America. You seem to treat America, uh, Russia still as a great power, although there are many people who will argue that Russia is a minor power, uh, certainly when compared with China, and it's certainly not a global power anymore. How would you respond to that? Well, I would disagree. The Soviet Union styled itself as a great power, but as many people said, it was basically a third world country with nuclear weapons. Russia today has an an economy that is a fraction of the size of Californians. I don't argue that Russia is a great power, a superpower anymore. It styled itself that way in the Cold War. What Russia has is one of the most efficient intelligence services ever created. It devotes a great deal of its time and energy as a nation to using that intelligence service to undermine the United States and the West. It is asymmetrical warfare, a weapon of the weak. But does it really matter? I mean, given that, what's Russia's interest here? They have no interest in, as they did under under Stalin or the Soviet system, they have no interest in, in turning the world into, into living living space for Putin. They simply want to... They're, they're like mosquitoes. They don't want to fundamentally alter the nature of... Uh, they, they don't want to invade or change our system, do they? They, just they do indeed, Andrew, and they, that has been their goal for close to 100 years. It is the goal of Vladimir Putin and his intelligence services to weaken American democracy, to 
defame the image of the United States in the world, to make the authoritarian system that Putin commands more attractive by comparison to other nations in the third world and beyond. This is revenge for the Cold War, Andrew. Vladimir Putin has repeatedly called the collapse of the Soviet Union, the greatest geopolitical disaster of the 20th century, which is saying something. He has been pushing back against the West for more than 13, <clears throat> pardon me, for more than 13 years. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's done so primarily through information warfare and cyber operations. In 2007, he took down the entire nation of Estonia, whose capital lies 200 miles from St. Petersburg, with a cyber attack. In 2008, he cut the Republic of Georgia, another former satellite of the Soviet Union, in half with cyber warfare in force. In 2014, he severed the Crimean Peninsula from Ukraine, another former Soviet satellite. And when the Ukrainians took to the polls at the end of that year, six years ago, to elect a new president, Putin's cyber warriors attacked the Central Election Commission's computers, made it look like a fringe pro-Putin candidate had won the election, and that news went out all over the world. It took some time for the Ukrainians to get control of that information. The goal here is not global conquest. The goal here is to weaken both emerging democracies and imperiled democracies like America's to make the authoritarian system look like a more attractive alternative. Is there any question in your mind that Donald Trump is now four weeks from our election in an authoritarian attempt to undermine democracy as well? That um, Trump would have won the 2016 election without the existence of Putin and this Russian what you claim at least is this Russian intelligence operation to interfere in the election? I have little doubt. You say, I claim there was a Russian. No, I, I, I think. Now, come on. Well, claim that it was absolute because you mentioned the New York Times earlier. Uh, and of course, you were a, a longtime uh, writer for the Times. You got a nice review, but there was a bite at the end of the review. You suggest uh, that the reviewer says he, meaning you, he leaves the impression that Putin pretty much handed Trump the presidency through a blitzkrieg unseen until after it had struck at the heart of the American body politic. Uh, Putin's mach machinations, the reviewer says, certainly mattered. But Donald Trump's rise reflects much more important changes within the United States in recent decades that widened societal divisions and increased political polarization. How would you respond to that critique, not so much of your book, but of this obsession amongst certain Americans that had it not been for Putin, um, Hillary Clinton would now be president? The Russian 
uh, hack of our election, the monkey wrenching, certainly made a difference. Did it make the difference? We'll never know. But your sense is without the Russian hack, would would Hillary be president? We will never know. We know that it made a difference. Did it make a 78,000 vote difference over three states? That is not an egg that can be unscrambled. <laughs> an unscrambled egg, Tim. I like that idea. Well, let's think forward. Hopefully this 2020 election uh, will not result in as much Russian interference. But you suggest that the future of the 21st century be one determined by this political battle between uh, Russia and the United States. Let me quote, uh, let me quote again the end of your book. You say, uh, and, and it's a wonderful book, and it's beautifully written, very passionate, Tim. Congratulations on it. You say, our democracy depends on truths. It is held to be self-evident. We created a government of laws, not men. Our elections are free and fair. No one is above the law. The president is not king. Trump threatened to prove these ideals false. And if America's politics are founded on falsehoods, the weapons of political warfare will prevail and a long dark will, will descend on the last best hope of what was once known as the free world. Only a free world and a free people stand in the way of its falling. I saw a, a reference to uh, somebody was saying on Twitter this morning, perhaps not the, the heart of the free world, that we shouldn't use this term free world anymore, that America has essentially descended into a kind of authoritarian morass. Are you suggesting that the late 20th century or the second half of the 20th century's Cold War is essentially going to be fought out for much of the 21st century between the authoritarianism of, um, uh, of the Russians and the democracy of America? Andrew, as we speak, the election is four weeks away. There is no question in my mind that there will be electoral interference with the election process, both by Trump and his minions and by Vladimir Putin and his own. If Trump wins this election, or God forbid, if Trump steals this election, our 243-year experiment with democracy in America is done. Not sure how we would recover from four more years of an authoritarian Donald Trump. He has already installed uh, puppets at the top of American intelligence. He has defamed our diplomats as his words, human scum. He has called uh, the FBI Nazi stormtroopers. He has already decapitated the FBI once. He represents the closest brush this country has had with authoritarianism. He has taken us to this dark place in ideological lockstep with Vladimir Putin. Do you remember just uh, a little more than two years ago when Trump and Putin were in Helsinki? Yes. 
And a reporter asked both of them. So American intelligence says that Russians monkey wrenched the 2016 election. What can you say about that? And Trump said, well, my director of national intelligence said it was the Russians. I have Vladimir Putin standing right here. He says it wasn't. I don't see any reason why it should be. Thus taking Putin's word over the word of American intelligence. Well, everybody remembers that. And I can assure you that for the professionals of American national security, that was a five alarm fire. Very few people remember what Putin said. Putin in response said, well, as to who can be believed and who cannot be believed, no one can be believed. Translation, there are no facts and there is no truth. And that is the spear of Russian political warfare to get you to believe in nothing. Donald Trump has been the pointed end of that spear in American politics. It's uh, nihilism. Uh, we've had it on the show before, and, and it's a very compelling one. Tim, you mentioned to me at the beginning of this conversation before it got broadcast that your father, who was Viennese, came from um, came to the United States from London in in, in September. I'm not sure. Did he go from Vienna to London in '39, or from Vienna from London? Went from to Vienna to London in '29, and from London to the United States on a ship in August. 1939. My mother was born uh, outside of Nuremberg in Fürth, uh, 11 months uh, after Henry Kissinger was born there in 1924. Uh, she and her family were, of course, stripped of their uh, citizenship by the Nazis. She uh, and her family fled to Paris. Uh, that didn't work out in the long run. And then she and her mother fled Vichy Paris, made their way to Casablanca, mm. got the second to last ship that left Casablanca for the United States in March of 1942, landed in a refugee camp in Cuba, spent two years there and finally made it to the United States. My parents were married uh, three weeks after they met on a blind date at uh, Fort Hood in Texas. It's a lovely story, and of course, the story of some European Jews who escaped um, Nazism to come to America is also a, a wonderful story. Do you think there's going to be a reverse in November 2020 if, if Trump is indeed re-elected? Will you go back to Vienna? I certainly would seriously consider going back to Europe. I'm going to stand and fight. You're going to stay and fight. Well, I know you're in Brooklyn, Tim. Uh and uh, I strongly suggest everyone read your new book, The Folly and the Glory, which is perhaps the most overt and jarring account of, of, of how Trump has essentially become uh, an agent of, of Putin's Russia. Uh, Tim, in addition to your book, uh, what else should people be reading in these troubling times as we run up to, I assume you would argue, the most important election perhaps in American history? I would urge everyone to read, if they haven't already read, George Orwell's essay, Politics and the English Language, which appeared in a slim volume of his collected essays called Why I Write. Uh, you've read it. 
Of course, we've all read it. If you haven't read it, you must. Yeah. Um, Orwell not only teaches us how to write in this essay, but how to think and how to recognize political language for what it is. Political language, Orwell writes, is designed to give, is designed to make murder respectable and to give the appearance of solidity to pure wind. We have to recognize despite what Putin and Trump have told us, that there are facts and there is truth. We have to recognize the intent of political language when our president utters it. It is not only to deceive and mislead, it is to defeat your powers of critical thinking. I couldn't agree more, and it's a wonderful essay. It's also interesting in, in, in the context of today that in Orwell's essay, he warns us against the misuse of the word fascism. Would you agree with Orwell? Should we be using this word fascism, or do we need new words to describe Putin and Trump's self-interested nihilism? Well, fascism, to accuse your enemies of being fascists, uh is a bit empty nowadays. European fascism over the 20th century is not what we're experiencing today in America. What we are experiencing is an attempt to make our democracy an authoritarian government in which the rule of law does not determine the processes of government. Uh, it is an attempt at this point. If Trump wins or steals the election, we will be beyond, be beyond an attempt into an authoritarian nightmare. We're close to it now. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.